Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and today's episode is part two of our podcast on the 1985 version of Alice in Wonderland. This one covers the second episode of that miniseries, Through the Looking Glass. Joining me as before are my cousin Sarah and Nikki from Trivial Theater. We already did the intro in the last one, so let's just get right into the episode. Now for the next two hours, <laughs> Through the Looking Glass. Which I actually think I liked better than Alice. I think I did too. Oddly enough. <laughs> I'm kind of on the fence. Like there were things about it I enjoyed. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I'm not sure that I, no, I, well, yeah. I, I'm one of those weird people that like of a, of, if it's like a two part thing, I'm normally a fan of the first half and I don't know why it's like that resolution never, in regard to this is just kind of, it's not really resolution so much. It's just weird I'm not saying that I I'm not saying that I love this. I'm saying that I found more good in it than <laughs> than the first part. Oh no. I am yeah. besides, we're gonna get to your beloved Harvey Corman. His name keeps coming off of your lips, so I have a feeling that you have a thing with him. Well, you know, he was great in uh Blazing Saddles and he was excellent in um the Carol Burnett show. Yeah, Carol Burnett. That's what show. I know that's what I know him from. He was excellent in the pale. <laughs> um and he was so strange in the star wars holiday special so okay that was such a treat oh my god hey you still enjoyed the wookies in the robes, yes so don't i liked even, the end yes which counts for something so I, I didn't really love Harvey Corman's character, though. <laughs> no, nah, well, the first character that he played was interesting. The rest of them were just downright kind of dumb. So uh, yes, whip, whip, stir, whip, stir, whip, beat, beat, stir. <laughs> this is weird. Oh, that's like, right. He played that one too. I, yeah. When I think of Harvey Corman, the stories were really special. I think of the guy with the volcano head. Yeah, that was odd. That was very odd. I forgot that he played the Julia Child alien yeah. too. Yeah. That was an interesting character. <laughs> Anyways. On to bigger glass. and better things. The cliffhanger is taken care of quite quickly because it just disappears. <laughs> does the Jabberwocky knock over the table or does Alice? Or like knock over the chest pieces? I think maybe it was Alice. Yeah, I think she away. did. Yeah. And one of the things, okay, I think they, they also, they tried to explain this, like, okay, say in Alice, they were like, treacle, molasses for you Americans or something like that. And, which is not the same thing, but it's close enough. Um, but then here they turn it instead of, in the book, it's like, look out for the volcano. I, yeah, I noticed that too. And They, they made change it, it to a tornado. Yeah, which would be far more relatable to most Americans. Yes, and I also thought of a tornado almost makes more sense than a volcano in this scene anyway. Because, like, I never understood why the characters on the chessboard think that Alice is a volcano. I mean, that when... voluptuous skirt, though, I mean, that thing's huge. <laughs> <laughs> and they did just blow up, so... I suppose. But when they said tornado, I didn't really, like, I was like, yeah, that's different. But, like, it kind of makes more sense. Because if they don't really see her and they're just all of a sudden whisked through the air, I don't know. I thought tornado might make slightly more sense. It's also because we're from the Midwest and we can relate more to tornadoes <laughs> than to volcanoes. Yeah, I don't know how much uh, Lewis Carroll was thinking about tornadoes when he wrote Yeah, scene. probably I suppose true. it was more the visual imagery of a, of a, of a volcano would be more in a kid's mind would be more explosive uh, without without being fantastic about it would be more explosive maybe yeah they did well to actually include the scene um and the crying pawn <laughs> <laughs> but yeah for the chess pieces you have the red queen played by Anne Gillian who I didn't recognize but I looked her up and then I did recognize one thing that she'd been in she played Bo Peep in the old Babes in Toyland movie mm-hmm. Which oh, I nice. only vaguely remember from childhood, and I've seen clips later on in life, and I'm like, that doesn't seem to be as amazing as I thought it was when I was a kid. <laughs> it seldom is. There's very little is. The Red King, I didn't really recognize. That was Patrick Callaton. 
Well, in some of these, again, it's like the birds floating down the, the, I hate to say the river of tears, the, the, um, the <laughs> yeah. canal, the canal of salty tears. <laughs> the brook at best. <laughs> the brook at best of salty tears. <laughs> like they're big names, but they're, they don't have anything really for speaking lines. They're literally there as window dressing. The Red King in particular, yeah. And even yeah. in the book, the Red King doesn't do much. True. That's true. And then, of course, the White Queen is Carol Channing, which I know who she is, but I don't know what I know her from. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. What was she that? She was the song, like, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, that, that movie or play. Did we or watch that one? I have seen the movie with Marilyn Monroe, but she was, like, the I think the original person, and I grew up listening to American musical theater, so I would have grown up listening to Carol Channing sing that song, and I don't know how much I realized it. Hmm. Um, and when she was young, she pretty much had the same voice. I don't know why. Like, yes, this is a beautiful <laughs> 50 lady. 50 packs a day. <laughs> yeah. 50 she packs a, a day. Um, but it's like, maybe it's just the byproduct of the jazz era of, like, this person is a pretty lady with a distinct voice and a lot of personality so it's like and maybe that's how she became famous um very possibly but yeah she was also you know on thumbelina her most iconic (laughs) no gentlemen prefer blondes would be far more iconic um she was also in thoroughly thoroughly modern millie she was muzzy van hosmere and i I feel like I know the title. I have not watched that. That's okay. Yeah, I know the title. I haven't seen it either. I mean, again, she's starred like she was a guest star in a ton of stuff. She was in the Adams Family TV series short as Grandma Adams. Uh, she would have a good voice for Grandma Adams. Oh, very good. <laughs> she was uh, the Brave Little to- Toaster Goes to Mars. I've seen the first Brave Little Toaster. I've never seen any of the sequels. I haven't either. Um, oh my goodness. <laughs> Are you having a repressed memory now? I feel like I've heard of the Brave Little Toaster, but the fact that there would be sequels, I mean, leave it to humanity. <laughs> I mean, oh boy. But yeah, no, very memorable. Oh, did we talk about harvey corman yet not that well, he has, we haven't gotten him he's, he's the last he, one he keeps coming up but yeah <laughs> yes white king is Sorry. harvey corman which like he's one of the best characters on this adaptation honestly mm-hmm. i would agree i mean i i have i he's been in so many of the movies that i love which i'm a i'm a big mel brooks fan and he shows up so often with that and i was raised in the carol burnett show so all of those things that he did with uh, Tim Conway, especially like they just mm-hmm. stand out as those classic moments of just, just incredibly funny slapstick TV. They were good. They, I, agree. I mean, I keep thinking about the scene with the waiter where he's like pretending to burp him. <laughs> <laughs> the, the dentist sketch too is, is just well, so awesome. And the, I haven't, I mean, I've probably seen that. I haven't like, exhaustively watched the carol burnett show but i realized with what i have watched that they were very good actors but yeah i'm sure we'll be talking about him further since he gets a fair amount of i mean he probably gets more airtime than carol on here yeah it's close nothing else yeah so okay so she helps out the chess pieces and then does she just sort of wander out of the house well she goes and talks to the This is where they've changed things because an owl in a painting comes to life. And I don't think that that's in the book. Like it's been a few years since I've read the book, but I I would remember an owl coming to life. And, and and then it was like this weird, I don't know, either depressive or preachy. Did he sing? I can't remember now. Did he sing? He's talking talking about the Jabberwocky. He says that it's all in her head and it could come back at any moment as long as she has fear in her mind. Yeah. So don't think about the purple elephant. Don't think, ah! (laughs) (laughs) But I don't think she actually leaves the house because I think she's just, once the painting comes to life, like, she's in the woods. Okay. Yeah, she's got an amazing power of teleportation. Yes. And the owl was played by Jack Warden. And I didn't 
really recognize him except he was the editor in the great muppet caper so another muppets connection <laughs> mm, okay the guy at the beginning who was friends with Fozzie and kermit's hybrid father <laughs> nice oh my goodness oh oh yeah the hat <laughs> yes <laughs> Oh, okay. Now I have the connection going here. So he played the owl and that... Yes. Okay. So this character is basically not necessary. It's just to bolster their false um, extra plot line. Yes. Yep. Because the Jabberwocky is not really in the book either. He's a poem in the book. They've just turned him into an actual character. It's almost like taking Father William and bringing him back scene after scene. Yes, basically. Like, he has nothing to do with, like, yeah, he has a small part to do with this, but he has nothing to do with this, basically. Yes. They just decided to make a big deal out of the Jabberwocky. Yes, and the owl says that in order to actually get home, she has to overcome her fear of the Jabberwocky to defeat him. And thank goodness that's not real life, because... Because <laughs> <laughs> how do you overcome a fear of a giant, hideous rubber monster who's chasing after you and would potentially eat you? Especially one that contains Tom McLaughlin. <laughs> I, I would actually hang out with Tom for maybe a half hour. I mean, just to nice. find out what he's like. Give Talk about his hand. glory Give days as a mime. I, I could see my sister liking this person. She has that kind of... Uh, she has that zany streak in her. Nice. Now, that's the one thing, and I guess this is more of a question from the perspective of one that is not in touch as much as I should be with, like, Alice in Wonderland and, and Through the Looking Glass. It's the things okay. that they talk about, kind of the, the themes of, like, not being scared and kind of, like, growing up and stuff... Like, those were just added more so by this specific version. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Totally. Yes. Totally. Those are not in the <laughs> there, There's not, like... Like, if you look at Alice, if you want to find a, a, a moral tone, you could think, oh, one of the strongest moral tones is keep your temper or <laughs> your hair wants cutting. Or, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's silly. It's uh -huh. supposed to be silly and not not trying to force a seven-year-old into becoming an adult. Yeah, you need to be... Well, what's really cute in the book is the way she lectures herself about how, you know, there's no use in crying and da-da-da. Mm -hmm. But it's it's more cute and fun rather than putting a lot of pressure on somebody to grow up already so you can go sit with the adults and eat <laughs> jam. <laughs> Because that just, it came back so many times, and there were times where it was, especially in the second half, uh -huh. where it just kind of, you understood what they were trying to do, but it just, it didn't, it was like putting a square peg in a round hole. It, it just didn't work within what, what was going on. And it's one thing to just encourage somebody to be brave, it's another thing to, I don't know, they just, it was, it was an odd, it was like they were just trying to tie it all together, and that's how they chose to do it. Um, but it wasn't really necessary. Yeah, those threads were tenuous at best at points. Yeah. Well, a lot of versions try to do something like that, and it can be 50-50 whether it actually mm. works or not. Because, like, in the 99 version, she had stage fright. She was supposed to sing at a garden party, and then throughout the course of the movie, she gets over being afraid. But I don't know that anybody's pressuring her to be brave or anything. It wasn't it wasn't made such a strong point of as it was in this one cuz this one it just kept coming up because she's afraid of this Jabberwocky and it keeps showing up and chasing her and they really beat this one over the head whereas it's just kind of just a light little thing to tie the plot together in the 99 version. Well, they just really wanted to get their money's worth out of the costume. <laughs> yeah, they're $2.50 that they spent <laughs> on it. <laughs> Well, you know, plus you got to factor in the batteries to keep the, the, the air going in the suit. <laughs> if that's how they did that, because that it looked to me like it wasn't very inflated. Ah. If that's the case, it was very floppy. <laughs> I'm curious about Tom McLaughlin now. Um, okay, so how did she end up with the flowers? Did she? Okay, so she just was basically in the wood because of staring at the owl, and then she probably wandered off from the owl after she got... I think the owl... Does he just disappear? I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, I think so. 
I think she just leaves from there and then finds the flowers. It's not like they're outside of the house like they're supposed to be. Which, aside from the one in the middle, those flowers were kind of racy in my brain. They, for, it looked to me like they were trying to do, like, an Adam and Eve thing with the one. Like, with the, like they were wearing tights, but it was, like, the vine placement. <laughs> like, they were supposed to go for, like, a, an Eve look, was, like, in I, drawings I, of Eve. Normally... Although, okay, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, the I think with the rose, like, they were trying to make her more... Not sensual, but like more, you know, shapely. And then, you know, the tiger lily was kind of more covered and the daisy was more She plain. had the big cape and costume and she was all Which would theatrical. have been fine. But I'm like, okay, Jonathan knows. I have a thing with talking flowers. I love the talking flowers. They muffed it. Like, those <laughs> costumes were distracting. <laughs> I mean, just green screen it or something. And if you look at the illustration in the book, it's so sweet. It's so nice. And yeah, so not a fan of these. These were just people in green pantyhose. (laughs) (laughs) All over. Well, and I'm looking who played it. You had Sally Struthers as the Tiger Lily, Donna Mills as the Rose. And obviously they're not like, you know, sexy actresses in their day, really. I suppose uh, Sally Struthers might have been, but... I mean, they were good-looking ladies then and now, but I I don't think that they were specifically like you know, you know, you know, you know, kind of. A, you know. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Oh, sorry, like a jazzy, like you know, walk into a room and there's that that, that uh, right. sexy jazzy right. soundtrack, like like purposefully, <laughs> like purposefully suggestive. They weren't right. those type of people. They, I mean, it may have just been their form what they thought was logical as costuming but i didn't like it so yeah, I, I think apologize that didn't really work. i was hoping like in my head i was thinking like may west like walking into a room yeah. kind of that didn't work very well i'm sorry what, what did she say is that a gun in your hand or are you just happy to see yeah exactly me? exactly <laughs> come around to my place honey uh, yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> i thought that they did a good job with the chessboard landscape uh, yeah, I did like that. The yeah. pattern in the grass. And they yeah, did they... actually, there's some fun trivia about that too. Uh, I, I was looking at other stuff here. Let's see. Uh, checkerboard clearing was created on the right side of the forest area on the MGM lot. Brown paper was taped to the bottoms of the landscape drops painted to tie in the checkboard main ground cover. It was planned as a false perspective grid pattern for the distant. So like it, the further it goes away, it looks mm-hmm. like there's more to it. Who knows how much time that took? A lot, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And they... I don't think they belabored her scene with the Red Queen too much. I mean, no, it was it was pretty quick, but I, I liked how they did it. I liked the scene with her running and flying behind the queen. <laughs> <laughs> and given that this was TV in the 80s, I thought that they did a pretty decent job with the green screen aspects, for the most part. Yeah, we've, we've seen a lot worse. <laughs> And there was one or two that were kind of janky, but by and large, yeah, they did a good job with it. And um, a fair amount can be said about the train scene, actually. In the book, she doesn't purposefully enter the train. It's very understandable that on this one, they would have her just run up and get on the train. Mm-hmm. But in the book, she jumps over a book and then she's just in the train, which makes sense if you're dreaming. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Um but I wasn't sure how accurate they were going. They were being to the scene in the book. And when I looked it up, they actually kept a fair amount of accuracy to the book in this scene. Wasn't there a character missing? Like, wasn't there a bug too? The gnat was on the train and a beetle was on the train. The beetle's what I was thinking okay. of. Because they did put the gnat in, but in a different scene. Right. But the gnat is just sort of with her on the train and then post-train. Yes. And, Yeah. And it's actually a gnat. It's not like a giant human a in, in a fuzzy in a costume. Uh, <laughs> costume. Yeah, no, it's an actual gnat. Which I guess is slightly understandable because, like, how do you represent a gnat on the screen? <laughs> I mean, you could. You could just, just have the little animated noise. tiny black dot and a noise. Yeah, yeah. and which would be cuter. Um, <laughs> I suppose so. Trying to trying to keep because it's not a long conversation. But to have that conversation where you see her slightly staring off in the middle distance, I suppose that's kind of to go back and like, unless you did like that. And then the reverse perspective of the gnat and kind of you do a close up on like a puppet and do well, a super close shot. Okay, Part of the dialogue 
they sort of did it post train, but it was on the train. Like she didn't know who th- this little voice was in her ear. Like they could have made that work. Oh yeah. Um, but okay, so I think we had probably more than one famous person on the train car scene. Well, the the conductor was Merv Griffin, who was the guy who created Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. Really? <laughs> yeah. There was also okay. Pat Molina or Pat. Uh, what the heck? How do you? Marita, I think. Yeah, from uh, Karate Kid. Right. And uh, I was thinking, did they just make up this horse thing? It's like, no, they, there was an actual horse on the train. The paper guy was, gentleman in the paper suit, suit was Steve Allen, and he's pretty, I'm trying to think who he is. I think he was a like a Ed Sullivan sort of, oh, or was he was the guy it, that did the music? Was he on the show What's My Line? Hang on, I can look here. At least as a guest at different times. Yes. Yeah, he actually, it says he wrote 19 songs for this miniseries, so. Wow. Okay, so he was the music guy behind this. I got him and Steve Lawrence, or Stephen Lawrence, mixed up. So now you have his face and his wife's face. Yep, exactly. And then Patrick Duffy was the goat. So he was on, um, was it Step by Step? Like, I recognize his face, but I don't know what I've seen him in. I think maybe he's on Hallmark movies now. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Um, he was also in Dallas. He was uh, Bobby Ewing. Oh, so. I think that's where my parents would know him from. Um, and I thought maybe they were just whistling Dixie when she pulled his beard. But it's sort of... They did it differently than in the book, but she actually does pull his beard when the the train seems to rise in the air. But instead of it stopping and her getting lectured and getting off, it, it the goat just melts away and she's in the wood under a tree, which fits in with a dream. But in this, it makes more sense for that to actually stop the train and for her to get in trouble for it. They had of. to give Patrick Duffy more time to mug the camera before, uh, before they <laughs> got rid of it. He's one of those characters that unless you know it's him, you're probably not going to know it's him. Oh, no. Definitely. They did a really good job with his makeup, too. Yeah, they did. I'm just thinking how, how much, like, newsprint it would have taken to, like, cover the suit for Steve Allen. Uh, that's... Well, and then, like, in the book, I think they just have him covered in white paper. But, yeah, it's it, it's an interesting touch to have it be newspaper. And I don't think that that's the first time that I've seen that in a version. I, it's... Yeah usually newspaper so is it not newspaper in the book let me let me uh look here in the illustration it's not newspaper and i believe when i was reading it maybe it's one of those things where one version did it and then all the versions have to do it afterwards yeah quite possible it's making a statement on the state of newspaper print today (laughs) he is a newspaper reading a newspaper it's like meta All this, all this time, the guard was looking at her, first through a telescope, then through a microscope, and then through an opera glass. Nice. <laughs> Last he said, you're traveling the wrong way, and shut up the window and went away. So, young a child, said the gentleman sitting opposite to her, he was dressed in white paper, ought to know which way she's going, even if she doesn't know her own name. So, yes, just white paper. Huh. That's interesting. So, I yeah, wonder which pro- version did it first, and then every version afterwards does that. I, and you got to wonder whether... Maybe somebody used newspaper because it was cheap and available and... Or more interesting to look at than Yeah, Or for film, it could have just been easier to photograph. Like, it gives it a little bit more distinction as to what it is. I don't know. True, because, like, if it had been white paper, people probably would have just thought it was a white suit. Yeah. Unless they, like, added in a lot of foley of crinkling paper noises. That or just, you know, you'd almost have to, like, like, really crinkle it all up. That way it had more depth to it. Especially if in black and white, there's a good chance he'd lose it. Oh, and in the original illustration, he's wearing a paper hat as well Ah. and reading a newspaper. So maybe that inspired... I don't know. I don't know. That's an interesting question. But anyway, um, no, they actually actually kept a fair amount of the stuff in the book-ish to this scene. And uh, then she gets off and has... The conversation with the gross gnat guy and <laughs> who's, George who's, Goble. He's very kindly, but that that costume is just—I mean, no, it's just <laughs> awful. And one of the things that they leave out of this is that you're supposed to have 
the whimsical insects. Yeah, I was waiting for the like the rocking horse fly to show up, and they never did that. Like the she's talking to the to the gnat, and he's talking to her about these whimsical insects. The the bread and butter was oh, it the bread and butterfly? Bread and butterfly, rocking horse fly. Was there a dragonfly? Snap dragonfly. Oh yeah. Which snap dragonfly has to do with a Christmas game back in the Victorian period and maybe beyond, which my sister knew all about and I'd never heard of it. <laughs> it was just so obvious to her. Um, Is that the one that's like a pudding with mistletoe? But there's fire and sparks and I don't know if you're just supposed to somehow are you trying to are you trying to put them out with your mouth or it was something dangerous sounding. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so it would have been very obvious to the readers of this book what was being alluded to there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and then after this is the sort of enchanted wood, and she does talk to the fawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, the fawn does talk to her as well. Yeah. I think that fawn was just being rude in this in this version. <laughs> it was just a little baby. I didn't know English yet. <laughs> well, why not? Gosh darn it. <laughs> it should grow up for Pete's sake. Exactly. You're only a day old. Well, suck it up, cupcake. <laughs> okay so we move on to Tweedledum and Tweedledee I don't know why but I kind of liked having a woman play one of this the this is parts. like my favorite scene of the whole thing and, oh, yeah, I, and I loved it even more after I found out who they were it's a married couple okay which I'd never like I like when they gender swap characters I like that if there's like a good reason to and I think that's a great reason to do it is have a married couple play them I, I don't know why, but like these, this is a singing duo, Steve and Edie, Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet. Mm-hmm. Well, and since there's so much music in this, it makes sense to actually get people who could sing mm-hmm. their way through this. And even though I'm like, I wasn't a huge fan of a lot of the music, I really liked this scene. I feel like that their song stuck out to me as more acceptable than a lot of <laughs> it made more sense in the grand scheme of what was going on oh that's true it yeah. did because yeah and it makes sense to sing through the walrus and the carpenter even mm-hmm. though i don't think they do in the book it's but, just a poem in the book but i mean for film it makes sense to sing through it yeah and i liked how they transitioned into that like having them go through a cave and then they're out mm-hmm. on a beach that is cool that does well, work well it kind of gives two to that, like, like you talked about the dream state aspect of things. Like mm-hmm. it kind of brought it back to that being that you go through one place and come out someplace else. Mm-hmm. I would also like to note that Steve uh, Lawrence played uh, Marty or Maury Slime in uh, Blues Brothers, which is a fun and interesting. Like it's kind of a goofy scene, but it's a ton of fun. He's also, despite being born in thirty-five, he's uh, still kicking and doing stuff. Hmm. Oh, like the the husband of the duo or yeah yep okay i know she's not because i was reading the wikipedia page and there was this really sad part of him talking about how he lost his like his best half or something like that poor guy she did look like a nice lady very but yeah as much as i liked them and i liked this whole scene i did not like the walrus costume that was terrible Oh my goodness, don't meet that in a dark alley. It's like, what kind of surgery did you have? The wiggly tusks. That's so, no, it was, that was messed up. I, I think, though, you probably don't know who the walrus is. You'll recognize him when I tell you who he played, Sarah. Carl Malden, he played the reverend in Pollyanna. <laughs> For those who can't see, her jaw just dropped. <laughs> oh. Is my there goodness. A, a story or just generally the fact that... Oh, my goodness. I... Oh. Maybe I can unremember that. <laughs> oh, no. Like, that's one of the most memorable characters me like i grew up with that movie i still quote the reverend from pollyanna if not to other people oh well, i do to other people but also in my head you know like forever i never <laughs> like, oh, so the fact that that was 
that that was him underneath all of that it was him under the wiggly tusks <laughs> oh my goodness oh my goodness i'm i we're gonna have to move on before i've recovered from <laughs> Well, that, that is so surprising. Like, he's totally covered. I would have never known if you didn't tell me that. <laughs> also, shout out to Christy, Desiree, Barbie, and Janie. Oh, can you imagine trying to act through those oyster costumes? You knew who I was talking oh. about. <laughs> I have no idea who these people were. I felt like um, putting their names out there, like Tom McLaughlin, who actually turned out to be really colorful, but they may not be, a, there may not be as much information on the chicks in purple tights and oysters. I didn't <laughs> even look up the oysters because I didn't think that they were actually, I just figured that they were dancers because you never see their faces. It's just oysters with legs. Well, don't they uh, sing too? They do kind of, yeah. So uh, I'm just looking up here. I'm going one by one. So Chrissy... Or, yeah, Christy is uh, was a spokesperson for Realtor.com back in 2001. She's a former <laughs> gymnast. Um, she appeared in the company of Cats in the in the role of Rumple Teaser, making her Broadway <laughs> show debut at age 16. Like uh, the original Cats? That's what it seems to be. Wow. Uh, let's see. What else have we got here? So Desiree is known for adventure known for alice in wonderland and under the rainbow okay uh let's see barbie is known for greece sergeant pepper's lonely heart club and alice in wonderland and sorry my computer is being really slow janie is known for alice in wonderland and that's it okay so this was most of their biggest claim to fame. Exactly. Except the for the one who was in Cats. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And she also was a, a spokesperson for Realtor.com back in 2001. <laughs> My goodness, the fact that somebody from Cats was also an oyster on here. I was not expecting that. <laughs> and Janie, like, she probably, you know, she may have met somebody on the set of Alice in Wonderland and then they got married and had five kids and she just didn't have time to act and dance yep. around in purple tights anymore. <laughs> That's understandable. You know, purple tights are hard to pull off regardless, really. <sighs> but still, massive kudos to those guys for, for those four for being able to do that. Oh, well, one time we watched an Alice play from like the 1920s and it turned out that a couple of people did meet on the cast and got Aww. married. Yeah. So I'm. that's where me making that up in my head kind of comes from. <laughs> I think that's cool, though. If you can find true love at a place like that, you can make. You can find someone anywhere. <laughs> that's a great story. Can you imagine saying, this is my husband and he was an electrician and I was a dancer on uh, a version of Alice in Wonderland from the 1920s? They were out in the woods. Actually, I don't know if they had electricity. <laughs> yeah, the, the theater was like a play that was like literally out in the middle of the woods. Oh, it wow. was so it was so cool. The footage was so cool. That would be neat. Now there's just a feeling that comes with watching that. It's kind of weird, but so interesting. Um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> another another rabbit trail there. Nothing wrong um, with that. Those are those are the best kind. Well, you also have The Carpenter, who is played by Louis Nye, who I didn't think I recognized, but then I looked him up. And he was in The Beverly Hillbillies. He played Sonny Drysdale. Oh, That's okay. where I recognized his face from. He seemed familiar. Yes, that's that's why. Just like 20 years later or whatever. He was also an Inspector Gadget. Really? Yeah, he was Dr. <laughs> Spectrum. I don't oh, remember my. who Dr. Spectrum was. He played a lot of voices, so... Okay. And then, why do I have cute sheep that isn't bleeding in reality? Oh, um... Probably the queen. Yeah, the queen the turns queen. into a sheep. Okay, so after this, they had the scene with the queen, the white queen, and the poking of the finger and all of that, and... What was with the, um... She kept walking around saying bread and butter. Um... I know that back in the day, like, if you went, like, if you were holding hands with someone and you went, like, you lit a tree, like, divide you, you'd say bread and butter to, you know, like a lucky thing. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I've never heard that. Well, it was, a th it was an old thing I remember seeing on uh, Looney Tunes. So that's kind of what I got from it. I'm assuming that was a thing. Um, I'm Interesting. Here, 
I remember talking about jam, but I don't remember bread and butter. I'm not actually seeing... Oh, wait. Wait. Here we go. Here we go. The White Queen only looked at her in a helpless, frightened sort of way and kept repeating something in a whisper to herself that sounded like bread and butter, bread and butter. And Alice felt that if there was to be any conversation at all, she must manage it herself. So she began rather timidly, Am I addressing the White Queen? So. Okay. Um, it says it sounded like bread and butter, but it, you don't actually know whether that's what she was saying. Or no, I don't know why she was saying it. <laughs> oh, a uh, superstitious belief. Well, this doesn't really work here, but there is a superstitious belief that if a pair walking together is forced to pass on the opposite side of some obstacle, they should say bread and butter or risk a permanent separation. Oh my goodness. <laughs> But that Why? really doesn't work here. <laughs> well, what does bread and butter have to do with walking with a tree between you? I suppose it's like stepping on a crack. Superstition isn't about logic, so. <laughs> but yeah, maybe it was a saying back then. Yeah, and then we have, oh, what was her song about? I think that she was singing about, like, her lines about jam. Oh, yeah. Jam tomorrow, jam yesterday, but never jam today. And it was, yeah, this old jam, jam jazz number. <laughs> nice. I mean, if you like that. <laughs> well, it's better than a jazz song about marmalade. <laughs> oh, my. Is that a thing? <laughs> I don't know. Just sounded I mean, good. It, it could have been. She could have said, like, if they'd actually had the marmalade in the rabbit hole scene, she could have sang that as she was falling down. Yeah. <laughs> now, I may have to take some time after this and figure out what all rhymes with marmalade. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> um, now, she's all cute and everything, but the whole turning into a sheep, like, if I, I think I knew what was happening, but that was kind of... <laughs> it was odd. Yeah, which is an odd scene anyway, but they made her kind of creepy for it. And it's not supposed to happen out in the woods. They're supposed to be in this weird shop. Like, it's very strange in the book anyway. So Yeah, they, they didn't have the shop at all. They gave the truncated <laughs> version. And they were never out in the boat. Yeah. And, yeah. And also, okay, then after that, it's like she's being chased by a buzzard. Which is actually supposed to happen, like, the whole creepy bird or whatever that's supposed to happen it's supposed during, to be a monstrous crow it's supposed to happen during tweedledum and tweedledee not yeah here. during their battle which they didn't have a battle in this version, right which they, is fine because they're a married couple they don't yeah, need to they, be battling they, they had a they had a good marriage so <laughs> i was gonna say because that could be the best of times the fact that they were married but understandable given everything um so yeah they decided to include a buzzard which i guess makes i mean it's a big bird it works but not accurate. Oh my goodness, there was one version that we watched. I was so disturbed. I was so... <laughs> they had this giant crow and there was something about it. Like, I, I looked away. It it freaked me out. Ooh. And I yeah. love birds. Mm -hmm. But somehow, something about this one, man, that was, that was freaky. Anyway, this buzzard was not <laughs> freaky. It was fine. And then after that, you transition back into the Jabberwocky. Don't you? Or or is it... She thinks that there's a Jabberwocky, but she ends up finding Humpty Dumpty. Okay, so we, we aren't there yet. And I think they did a fairly good job with the Humpty Dumpty scene until the Jabberwocky. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Jonathan Winters. The man, the myth, the legend. I know the name. So do I. The main thing that I re remembered him from was an episode of The Muppet Show. Also good. But I don't know what else I would have seen him in. But I know I know him. Right. Uh, he was in A Mad, 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 Mad World. He voiced Papa Smurf in the Smurf movies. <laughs> he was in um, Captain Planet. Uh, he was Eco the Clown. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know any of these. So it looks like he was also Grandpa Smurf in the original uh, Smurf series. That's interesting. I haven't watched the Smurf movies. I know I must know him from something else. Either that, or I'm just making that up in my head. I don't know. Well, he was Papa Smurf in the in the um, Smurf movies, but then he was also Grandpa Smurf in the original like cartoon Smurfs. But I haven't watched any of the Smurfs. Oh, got so. it. Got it. 
it's probably one of those names where it's like he's been in so many things that you just know the name even if you he's only had a bit part and that's why you remember the name true that's true because he's been in so much yeah i think it's kind of amusing how they're interrupted by the jabberwocky i had more than once where i was i feel like i had more than once where i was watching this it's like late at night and all of a sudden the jabberwocky is on the screen which is not that scary but it's not good timing like the how you know it's like probably i'm probably like the only one awake and all of a sudden rah, on the screen it's like this is not that scary of a thing but it's not a peaceful thing to be watching late at night either well and the music and the other the other effects that accompany it definitely don't help with that so yeah, I feel like, aside from the Jabberwocky, they did a decent job with the Humpty Dumpty scene. <laughs> and and then, of course, you have the whole chase through the woods. And I have don't think there was ever a tarantula in the book. Not that I remember. No. And I don't cer- know where and that And certainly came from. no hiding in the woods from the Jabberwocky. So they're just trying to make this creepy. And I kind of felt like, and I guess... On the notion of overcoming your fears, that's where I kind of thought they were going with the spider thing. Not that they ever mentioned that she was scared of spiders, but being that that is a relatively common fear, I kind of took that as, okay, she's going through the spider web, going around the spider web, or facing the jabberwocky, and it's like, okay, well, you've got three, well, two choices, but technically three. You know, (laughs) you could... I think you, know, you thought this through more than I did. <laughs> I overthink everything. <laughs> but then she, I mean, manages to evade and um, Tom wanders off off set and doesn't she like, yeah, didn't she like runs back opposite direction and ends up with Harvey? Yes. Like you do, you know, I mean, if you're in the in the 60s through the 80s or 90s, you definitely uh, will run into Harvey Corman pretty much anywhere. <laughs> I said the White King is all right pre-song. And then I put the song is more forgivable because it's Harvey Corman and John Stamos. <laughs> <laughs> now, we should probably look this up, but the character that John Stamos plays, I thought it was supposed to be the March Hare. Because the March Hare and the Mad Hatter, I thought, were the White King's messengers in the I'm book. I'm looking. Well, because they mentioned the, the Mad Hatter. Well, I mentioned the Hatter being one of the messengers at one point. Because it was Haya and the, and the Hatter. One coming, oh. one going. Ah. Yeah, because like in, in the book, it has that spelling for the hair, but it says, like specifically says that it's pronounced hair. Okay. All this was lost on Alice, who was still looking intently along the road, shading her eyes with one hand. I see somebody now, she exclaimed at last, but he's coming very slowly. And what curious attitudes he goes into, for the messenger kept skipping up and down and wriggling like an eel as he came along, with his great hands spread out like fans on each side. Not at all, said the king. He's an Anglo-Saxon messenger, and those are Anglo-Saxon attitudes. He only does them when he's happy. His name is... It looks like Haiga... He pronounced it so as to rhyme with mayor. So, hair. Oh, okay, that's what I remembered. So it wasn't like saying. But, but here we go. In the picture, it actually is showing a, a rabbit. Um, I just Googled the that name without messenger attached to it. And it does come up. It, it lists it as March Hare underneath that. So I, I don't know if it's a... You know, like a, a Roman word for March hair or something along those lines or what? Or maybe, but... or maybe an old English word for hair. Yeah. This is showing the hatter in this picture as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so here I was thinking that it wasn't and point for Team Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, I will still give you a point for getting everything else. So. Oh, thanks. Several points for you. Okay, Only one point super. for Jonathan. Oh, no. <laughs> kidding, kidding. <laughs> okay, so they have the the Hayar character, which it seems to be the, the March Hare. And then a little farther on you have, they placed themselves close to where Hatta, the other messenger, was standing, watching the fight with a cup of tea in one hand and a piece of bread and butter in the other. So instead of Hatter, it's Hatta in Through the Looking Glass. Cool. Okay, and here was something that I was not expecting. I like the unicorn. 
like the unicorn was Bo Bridges. It's like eighties makeup or something. He's like an eight. He's an eighties unicorn dude. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> I I thought that the person that they picked for the lion actually had a good face. The lion be, was Ernest Borgnine. Which I know that name. Too. I know him because he's the voice of Mermaid Man on SpongeBob. Mermaid Man, <laughs> Barnacle Boy. Barnacle Boy was Tim Conway, actually. <laughs> okay, he's Ernest like an elderly Rayleigh. superhero. Yeah. Ernest Borgnine, uh, he was in McHale's Navy. He was in, let's see, Airwolf, Escape from New York. He was Marty, if you go way back to the 50s. He's been in, like, so much stuff. None of these are jumping out to me, though. And it's like, I feel like I know the name. This is another one of those. If you saw him, I bet you'd know him. Like, just and as I may far have as, even, like, his face. I may have even Googled him, too. Like, there were different people that I was Googling while watching this. And, okay, was Ernest Borgnine the... The lion. Lion. Mm-hmm. Bo okay. Bridges is the unicorn. And Bo Bridges, I know he's a big name. The only thing that popped out to me that I knew him as was on the show Blackish. He's Rainbow's dad. That's the only thing I knew knew that I knew him from. I really liked the introduction of Alice to the unicorn. It, I feel like it's like if you want to compare what it's like for people from radically different parts of the world to maybe meet and become friends or get to know about each other. (laughs) I feel like this would be a good scene to insert. (laughs) And it's, I think it's sweet and amusing. So I actually really liked that part, which I don't think I would have expected. (laughs) It's very rare that when a version does the unicorn, it's very rare for them for it to actually be good. Like, normally the costumes are kind of off, and the scene is kind of weird. Understandable. Now, he is a very, like, and the music reflects that, too. They did a really good, it's a good combination of things. And uh, so the White Knight is played by Bo Bridges' father. Oh. Oh, that's right. Because I, I talked about this in a different episode of the podcast that I did earlier this year with mark brown we were talking about a version of peter and the wolf and lloyd bridges was the grandfather nice (laughs) which i thought that was interesting that he turned up in two different movies that we're talking about this year oh that is cool i actually thought they did a good job with the scene between the white and the red knight like the interaction and everything it was it was good Mm -hmm. and i liked the white knight i liked the way they had the horse done up i like they were starting out so well and then it just got weird <laughs> i will also say i kind of enjoyed the fact that they actually had like horses it's like the first besides like the fawn and stuff it was like the first actual like animal animal that made sense and in, into what mm-hmm. was going on i didn't stop to appreciate that but you're right it was a good thing that they had actual horses and it's kind of rare that they use actual horses because a lot of times it's the white knight on some sort of a stuffed thing or or a mechanical horse or a wooden Ah, horse interesting was i the only one who was weirded out by this by the whole song that they did i think i was kind of bored and i was probably tuning it out okay because it sounded (laughs) too much like a love song to me and then at the end like i felt like they did too much of a a white knight and lady fair thing for an old man and a little girl (laughs) to be playing that out like it would make more sense if the knight was a 12 year old or something but just the way they did it it just didn't like i don't think that they were trying to be creepy or anything but it just didn't fit properly with their ages in my brain oh that's fair i i hate to say it but i kind of tuned out that part okay so yeah (laughs) i was the only one tuning in on this one apparently (laughs) i mean that kind of happens in a lot of versions with the white knight scene it just kind of gets boring through here (laughs) like it just goes sometimes the white knight scene can just go on Mm -hmm. and on and on but they're doing it anyway But yeah, no. So with this one, it did actually pass fairly quickly for me, which uh, get, that's a bonus. Um, <laughs> and then you move on to her being with 
the two queens, well, becoming a queen herself and being with the two queens, which was sort of accurate to the book. I mean, they did show off the fact that the Red Queen, yes, can sing loudly and <laughs> in a Broadway style. And yeah, they turned the whole math conversation into a song. Was that before the song about emotions? I think so. I wrote down a phrase from the song. We've emotions, my dear, till we die. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's grim. <laughs> Even though it's, I mean, it's true, but. but well, we have them after we die, too. Any, anyway, it was like, <laughs> this was a song there because they wanted a song there, I guess. I don't know. It's was just, it the song where, like, um, right before the, lul- the lullaby? I think so, yeah. Yeah. I will say this for the for the math song, being able to sing that quickly and to keep it enunciated well. And I know that if you get a person that knows how to sing well, they can probably do that. But from an outside perspective, I was like, wow, they're able to get that out quick. If you're going to inject a song into this scene, it makes more sense to have the math song than Mm -hmm. the one about emotions. True. Very true. And and the lullaby, I think, was fine, too. Yeah, it's hard to screw up a lullaby. I mean, you well, can. Well, I feel. But... I think that there. I think that's just closer to the book. Definitely closer to the book than the emotions thing. Um, well, they probably did it as a lullaby because, like in the book, the queens fall asleep, so they probably right. But I'm I'm looking to see did they have an actual. Got to get past to sitting on a gate. That's a scene that almost no version ever does. I feel they had it in the one where, like, the guy who played Bilbo. Yeah. Yeah. That's, like, the only one I've ever seen where they did the sitting on a gate poem. Okay. Yeah, in the book, the Red Queen does do a lullaby. And it's probably the same lyrics as they had in the the movie because it's hushabye lady and alice's lap till the feast's ready we've time for a nap when the feast's over we'll go to the ball red queen and white ki- white queen and alice and all okay so yeah there you go i thought the castle was nice i mean maybe you had more to say about the white queen and red queen but i think we covered pretty much everything there yeah, yeah i mean cheryl can't cheryl can't that ah. Carol Channing, woohoo! You know, so that's that's. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> but no, I don't know how often the hall is as nice as it was in this one. I don't know. I mean, yeah, the, spread... the hall isn't always the most inviting party scene that we've seen. And this actually this one was better nice. than like, most. They had the whole spread. Mm-hmm. And it was a proper castle. It wasn't. It didn't look like a set. It looked like it was actually shot. Like, the walls had weight and depth to them and such. you got a lot of returning characters in this scene, too. you got the Queen of Hearts and the King, the Hatter, Hare, and Dormouse all come back. Cards, birds. There's, like, a huge musical number with everybody. Which, actually, that song was pretty okay. The welcome song. Mm-hmm. And then you have the part with the present, which I was rather expecting to be the plum... The sentient plum pudding. So was I. (laughs) But no, the Jabberwocky's back. (laughs) Well, you have to ask, what is more scary, a sentient plum pudding or the Jabberwocky? (laughs) The Jabberwocky? I don't know. Plum pudding can be pretty scary. I could go for some... uh, Can you tell I'm hungry? Like, I'm... Yeah, plum pudding would be good right about now. But yeah, I mean, Plum Pudding makes sense in the dream. Well, Jabberwocky would make sense in a dream, too. But no, and doesn't the owl tell her, like, she's never going to grow up until she stops being afraid or something like that? Yeah, yeah, she stops because they, they chase her upstairs and uh, she's trying to say, oh, my goodness, owl, can you help me? I, I don't want my friends hurt. And yeah, they basically, he's so like, to quote Home get over Alone. it. <laughs> to quote Home Alone, you're never too old to be afraid. <laughs> <laughs> But this is a pull-up-your-bootstraps 1800s English mentality. My note for the scene was the owl says, suck it up. (laughs) I understand it if they say, face your fears, but just they seem to be saying, get over your fears. And in the end, I don't know that she ever truly stopped being afraid, but she stood up to him. So 
But this whole chase scene lasted way too long. I feel like it needed Benny Hill music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's basically what it was. <laughs> but yeah, no, and hopefully the White Knight was okay. Oh yeah, he was because he was in the last, he was towards yeah. the end singing at her. Yeah, it seems like he gets killed, but he doesn't. Yay! We haven't talked about the end song. Okay, so she is triumphant in facing her fears. Oh, yeah, she tells it she doesn't believe in him and he disappears. And she gets invited to have tea with the grown-ups. And then you have an end song where she's looking in the mirror and some of the cast is singing to her about something and how they love her. I don't remember what the song is about. I remember that it ends with, I think it ends with them saying that they love her. They start singing Welcome Christmas. From, uh... <laughs> I felt, it felt kind of odd to me because like the characters aren't always pleasant to each other. And I don't know. It just felt odd to end it with how they love her. I don't know. It was, it was odd. Yes. So yes, this was odd. And... We spent hours of our life watching and writing and talking about it. <laughs> and oh. we're better because of it. Are we? Something. Are we really? It's it's not about the story. It's about the friends we made along the way. <laughs> I, for one, will never forget the weird collection of eyebrow coverings that peppered this entire movie. I may never forget the fact that I was actually kind of okay with John Stamos being on here. <laughs> like, dude's character was pretty good. It was it was an odd choice, but, you know, it worked. He's oh, a young, handsome guy at that point, so... Uh, and they didn't put a, any weird facial coverings on him. Yes. Like, they, they had... Have quite a what was his name? Hat. Scott Bio as Pat in the scene with the at the house. Mm-hmm. Like, he's another teen heartthrob, I believe. Oh yeah, but they had him in a lot so. of fur. I wouldn't have known. <laughs> but no, uh, yeah, loaded with people, and you expect Alice to be odd. But this, I, I, I expected to like this more than I did, and then I also had moments where I liked stuff where I wasn't expecting mm-hmm. to have these moments of actually enjoying it. And it took a while for me to work my way through it. I don't know how much they broke it up when they played it on television, but really an hour for both of these would have been enough for me to watch and take <laughs> notes on, not three plus hours. That's fair. And I think it was broken down between the two nights. So the way that it's mm-hmm. broken down on YouTube um, where it's an hour and a half, like where the break comes, I think was probably where the break came between the two ups. Now, obviously there was commercial breaks and those I think were pretty well, like when it dropped to black, I think was probably when like the commercial breaks were. Mm-hmm. And I didn't watch them all on the same day, but because I wasn't enjoying it as much, it just took that much longer. I think, like I said, I think I liked through the looking glass better than the first episode and yeah there were just these different nuggets in there where i actually enjoyed it well and if you can pull that from there i think that says i mean that's i think that's good in itself you know you were able to see the positives and the negatives in a in a in a in equal parts and i think that's worth quite a Uh, lot too (laughs) i mean more like three quarters negative quarter positive (laughs) but that's still you were able to like you didn't go into it you know put your hand you know after the first 20 minutes put your arms across your chest and go well this just sucks you know you didn't take that perspective five years into this there's only so much you can do <laughs> like oh, <no>. <laughs> like we have oh it's really rare for us to actually skip stuff that we don't like we just endure it and then <laughs> complain about it on on for the podcast but we did have one with songs where we were in agreement we actually skipped a bunch of the music and it was so nice that we did <laughs> That's, that's one that I re-released it as a podcast this year. It was one of the first ones I did in the first year, I believe. And I originally thought, maybe I would rather not re-release this one and just talk about it with you. <laughs> because it was okay. so uh, interesting. I mean, I will <laughs> but admit I still some could. of the... Oh, yeah. Well, and I will admit some of the shorts that we've done, those were uh, not simple to get through by any stretch. Yes. Just because they... 
the quality given as such like i know that the the very worst quality one with uh dinah shore as the voice of alice mm-hmm. the horrible or, animation right despite the fact that the animation was horrible like the the story behind it and being that it was more authentic to the original and it had dinah shore in there kind of gave it that it felt you know the the animation was added after and it's meant to make it goofy and stuff but the work and time that went into the audio end of it i could mm-hmm. look at and say okay that's you know that's a good thing i mean you look at the star so, power in this thing and oh sorry go ahead sorry dinosaur did more than one alice then didn't she we're, the one we're talking about is one you and I re-reviewed as a radio play. That right. radio play was taken and turned into a terrible animated special. Oh, so bad. Oh, okay, okay. Which Truly I haven't, I haven't had you endure. <laughs> and you, you, if you saw some of it, you would thank me for not making you watch it. I don't Agreed. have to watch every episode. <laughs> that is 100% fair. So, did everybody have closing thoughts or or a favorite character or favorite part or my favorite part for the first one was sammy davis and the dance their father william dance and the second part is the tweedles and their song not necessarily the walrus costume from the song (laughs) but i liked their whole scene and what about you nikki i i really enjoyed the sammy davis jr part as well i think it was the most entertaining part of it and you also had just there was a lot more to it it wasn't just you know like you say it wasn't just caterpillar and alice it was explosions it was some tap dancing it felt and obviously that i think they put a lot of production into that part mm-hmm. probably because it was sammy davis jr and i guarantee you that he probably made a pretty decent bank over what he did um i also really enjoyed the the cook and the duchess part just because it was so random and goofy and weird. And there were parts that were like, ah, but overall it was just a super fun part. Um, on the last bit, I like the, the oysters dancing part, just because of what it would take to do that. And the math song was a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah. And my brain is stuck on the unicorn. <laughs> but if that's something that you haven't seen in other parts, that's still pretty awesome. And it, I mean, it was, it, it was a surprisingly i don't know how to describe it it wasn't played for weird it was played for truthfulness because you would i mean you go to someone that you haven't you know a kind of person that you haven't met before and all you have is stereotypes and you meet this person and it's like in your head you say you know what you're not a monster you're not a weird person you're not all of these things that i've heard about before it was just lovely yeah <laughs> and that's good that's awesome so yeah we, we all found some good in it, and hey, to everybody out there who's been asking for this, it's finally coming to you. <laughs> so It's good, done! It's good done! To have, yeah. <laughs> By the time you're listening to this, it's <laughs> <laughs> after Jonathan spends who knows how long editing. It's going to be a little while before I get this one edited. Yeah. Oh man, you're, I feel so bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we... We did it, and we, yeah, you got us coordinated to actually do it together, so that's good. Yes. Exactly. It's Finally. been a pleasure. <laughs> nice meeting you. Same. Yes. <laughs> well, I guess until next time, do you want to let people know where they can find you? Uh, certainly. Uh, so if you're looking for uh, movie reviews on random, obscure, and straight-up bad movies, you can head on over to Trivial Theater on YouTube. Um I cover quite a wide variety of things, and I have collabed with quite a few folks on some very interesting movies, both mainstream and obscurely. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Trivial Theater. Okay. Sarah, did you want to promote anything? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not on social media, but I do have art out on the internet my artist's name is turnip wilson and um, on <laughs> yes that's, that's awesome. a story that's a story <laughs> okay yeah that's the story in itself but yeah my artist's name is turnip wilson and um i have most of my stuff up on Redbubble, and i started an account on society six a while back and i have some things on there as well i'm on etsy but that shop needs restocking so best places to look would probably be Redbubble and Society6. And that's um, watercolor and pen and ink and, you know, different whimsical, whimsical types of things. 
as well as realistic. Anyway, <laughs> there you go. Cool. Thank you. Okay. Well, thanks for doing this. We might have to coordinate another version another time because I think there's other versions that I think the three of us could talk about. Boy. <laughs> Boy. So, until next time. Bye. See you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Every Version Ever. If you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform or to the Every Version Ever YouTube channel. Make sure to follow my co-hosts as well. Any relevant links will be in the description for easy access. We'll be back soon with another brand new episode. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Come along and pass through the looking glass into Wonderland.